Hello, and welcome to UK Life Abroad. My name is Andre, and I'm joined by my co-hosts Brianna, Alexa, and Nathan. With thousands of churches spread across Ukraine, the unique style of golden domes is instantly recognizable. But where did this originate? Find out in this week's episode, along with two important recent news events. This and more on Zakhredanyu Ukrainsi, the podcast for all things Ukrainian. So when we think of Ukrainian churches, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, covered in gold and like covered in like artworks. Like everything's like painted, like the walls and the ceiling and stuff. Onions. <laughs> oh, as in like the onion domes? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you are right. So a lot of Ukrainian churches are quite famous for their liberal use of gold in a sense. And today we're going to talk about St. Michael's Golden Dome Church in Kyiv, which kind of started the trend of Ukrainian churches having a gold-plated roof and that being like a symbol of like a traditional Ukrainian church. So the church is located in the heart of Kyiv, not far from St. Sophia and Khrushchatik, and it's one of Kyiv's most recognizable landmarks. And I think it's usually on every, you know, tourist itinerary when you visit the city. So I don't know, have you guys been? Been there quite a lot. A lot. Not in a long time. Yeah, no. I've never been to Ukraine. So. It's on your bucket list, Nathan. So how old is this church, Andre? So St. Michael's Church was built uh, between 1108 and 1115 by then the uh, Kniazov Kevskorus II. And it was just after the recent victory over the Polovtsins. And after the circumstances, the construction of the church was, was allowed to begin, in a sense. So the church was built in the upper center of Kiev near St. Sophia and the site of the earlier church of St. Dimitri because he, he viewed it as a, a significant place and it was, there was already a church. There was a church there before and so inside there was an icon dedicated to St. Dimitri. Uh, why did he name it St. Michael? Why not some other saint? Yeah, so he named it St. Michael because he considered it the patron saint of all Knyazer and their armies and because it was also his baptism name as well. So it was very important to him to name it after St. Michael. Yeah, the, the warrior angel. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys know the different meanings behind different aspects of the church, that how they're symbolic? Nope. No, not really. I never really looked into it. So there's actually a specific way that um, Orthodox churches in particular are orientated. Um, so most of them are uh, east-west with the main entrance being on the west end. And then this symbolizes uh, people who enter from darkness of sin in the west and face the light of truth, the east. Oh, so they're calling the rest of Europe just <laughs> in darkness. <laughs> oh, it makes so much sense, though, because, like, to get into St. Sophia, you have to walk all the way around the church. Kind of like, I was always like, why do you have to walk all the way around? <laughs> no, I think the point was the sun sets in the west, so it creates darkness, versus the sun rising in the east, which creates light. Oh, yeah. But there's still sun in the west when it's... Yeah, but it, that's the point. It's setting, so in the west is when you lose the light, whereas in the east is where you gain the light. Much better explanation than mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, the number of domes on the top of a church is very significant. So, I think the original um, 
the original St. Michael's only had one dome, which symbolizes Christ, the sole head of the Christian community. But currently, when it was rebuilt, uh, St. Michael's has seven domes, which could represent the seven ecumenical councils, which formulated the basic dogmas of the Orthodox Church, or it could be the general use of the sacred number of seven. Um, Other numbers that are sacred that are significant, like three represents the Holy Trinity, uh, nine domes represents the traditional nine ranks of angels, and 13, which you know some people might consider an unlucky number, actually symbolizes Christ and the 12 apostles together. Need a very big church for 13 domes. <laughs> so if you were wondering why I thought of onions when I think of Ukrainian churches, some of the domes are shaped like hemispheres, but some of them are also shaped like onions. So the um, the base of the onion of the dome sort of like curves out and is, is wider. It's wider at the sides than it is at the base and it's taller than it is some, I don't know, I don't know the exact dimensions, but um, some people believe that uh, this shape is um, based off of churches in northern Russia, which were built that way to uh, allow for like, huge dumpings of snow to come off from the dome and not make too much weight and not like collapse. Um, but also the different colours that domes can have are very important, very significant as well. So when you look at um, orthodox iconography, gold represents the light of God and his divine nature. So by having these domes in gold, it's signifying that these um, churches are places of worship and, and places of God. Um, so the church has enjoyed quite a interesting history and it's been, it was always seen as one of the most popular churches in Kiev. And because of that, it enjoyed a lot of patronage throughout its history, particularly from the Cossack Hetmane, um, who would always invest into the church and kind of created its current architectural style and part of the reason why it was so popular was because it um it held the saint the relics of saint barbara which were bought from brought to Kiev from constantinople by Sviatopolk ii's wife when she moved from constantinople to Kiev. and in 1870 around a hundred thousand pilgrims came and visited saint michael's monastery and even back then, tourist traps existed and the church had various souvenirs that you could purchase. And some of the most popular were these rings called St. Barbara's rings, which were blessed at the church and were seen as a good luck charm because the church had been able to avoid various ep- epidemics that had affected Kiev in the previous centuries. And so, you know, it was attributed to the church having the relics of St. Barbara within its premises. It's kind of interesting that they're that was selling like memorabilia even back then yeah merch yeah. <laughs> but then didn't like the crusaders bring back like memorabilia and different kind of stuff so maybe it's always been a part of human history to when you visit something to take a little memento there was never mentioned in history really like when you like remember stuff it happens all the time like that's how so many like when great britain took over egypt they were like shipping back mummies and they were used to do these like unwrappings of the mummies for like the aristocracy where they just like have all these artifacts they just stole and they'd be like, oh, we're going to, uh, you know, unwrap a mummy and let's have a fancy dinner party where we unwrap <laughs> this mummy. Oh, fancy. So, But yeah. I was more talking about like individual like tourists coming in and like nowadays, like you go to like any 
tourist spot and there's like magnets and like key change and like posters and stuff that you can buy and here you can buy uh, is it key chains or rings rings yeah you can buy rings of one of the saints so we said earlier that the church had been reconstructed by the cossack hate moans but um it's also been reconstructed recently and why is that nathan uh, well, that would be a little incident in Ukrainian history called the uh, Soviet Union. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, after the Soviets seized power, they actually closed the monastery. And then in 1936, Stalin had it completely destroyed. Uh, and, well, his administration had it completely destroyed. And so the, you can actually find photos of these ruins online. Um, and you can see exactly how much you know damage they did. That's pretty depressing. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but before they did that, there were a lot of artworks that were removed and they were uh, sent over to Moscow and uh, stored over there. And so a lot of these art- these, these original artifacts still do remain, uh, which I guess is good. <laughs> um, they didn't destroy absolutely everything, but... Um, you know, it was then sent over to uh, Moscow. And then when the Nazis invaded, of course, they came through and tried to pillage it, as they did with, like, everything they kind of yeah, Everything else they did, artworks and whatever else. Um, and all of the stuff the Nazis took ended up in American hands at the end of the war. So all of that stuff, the Americans gave back to the Soviets, and it ended up in Moscow again. So, <laughs> well, it ended up in Moscow with the rest of the stuff. And so... That's where it stayed for a long period of time until the church started. Um, well, it was reconstructed. It started in 1997 and it was opened in 1999. And then out of the 29 art pieces that were in Moscow at the time, only 18 were returned to the church and now they've been put back in. I'm surprised they returned any of them considering their hold. Like They like to claim that everything from Kiev is actually Russian. True, but I think given how much, like, history there was behind it, like, you know, I was going to say, like, I'm pretty sure the Nazis took this. How did you end up with it? Oh, we got it from the Americans. Okay, and where did the Americans take it from? Oh, we got it from Kiev. So, therefore, okay, yeah, yeah, it should be back in Kiev. (laughs) Yeah, so there's still some things that need to be returned, but a lot of that original stuff, I guess you could say it was good in a sense that, you know, even though it was stolen, it kind of saved it from being completely destroyed. Kind of reminds me of um, those things from the Parthenon, because um, like the oh, that of- ended up in the British Museum. Yes, and you know a lot of those things that the British took or have taken over the years, given how much like World War Two damaged everything and destroyed a lot of stuff, you could say, yeah, it's good that they kind of held it, but give it back probably. <laughs> <laughs> Since the end of 2018, St. Michael has undergone another major historical moment as it now serves as the headquarters of the newly recognized Orthodox Church of Ukraine. Oh, was that since the... Uh, Thomas? Yes. Um, yeah, which further adds to the historical significance of the church and, um, you know, highlights the historic role that it played. And the other historic role that it played was during... Yavromaidan because the church's bell towers were rung on the night when the police first came to beat the protesters on Maidan Square and the priests in the church rang it to warn um, the residents of the city that um, Maidan was being attacked and it was the first time since the Mongols 
I think it was like the, it was the second time it's ever happened as Yeah, well. since the Mongols invaded. I think it was the first time when they rang the bells as a warning to the city. Damn. It's, a, it's quite important when they ring the bells then. Do they not like ring them during weddings and, you know, well, when church starts? Like at night and stuff. Oh. No, I think the whole point was that uh, the bells are only meant to be rung when there was like an attack happening on Kiev. Oh. I think that's the only time. Like mid-wedding? It's like, oh, the Mongols are coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think it was like they're rung at like, spe- like, it's probably like, you know how like you have a clock tower? They're probably rung on the hour or something. But then like... You mean outside regular times? Yeah, outside regular times. Um, The other um, interesting historical fact that's tied to St. Michael's Church was that at the start of the 20th century, they were doing some architectural digs on the site and they found a hoard of silver that was eventually dated to the 11th and 12th century. And part of the hoard that they found included silver rings, bracelets, pendants, and even like uh, old-fashioned... Hrevni, uh, which are like these big metal, like big silver bars that people used to carry around to pay for stuff. So these items can now be found in London and New York and, you know, showcase the more artistic style of Ukrainian metalwork. In every country, there is a temple which is considered a cultural and spiritual heritage of the state. In Ukraine, there are three of them. St. Sophia of Kiev, Assumption Cathedral of Kiev, Pachowska Lavra, and St. Michael's Golden Dome Cathedral. And I believe that uh, if you're able to go, you should visit Kiev and visit these three places because they are a magical place to see. And like we mentioned and talked about, there's a lot of history behind it and a lot of the meaning that you can learn from. Last week, uh, ABC aired a investigation and they titled it uh, Putin's Patriots, Russian Money and Influence in Australia. And it was done uh, by Four Corners. And they were looking into various Russian, uh, pro-Russian groups in Australia and, you know, their influence and what their goals are in terms of lobbying and trying to push uh, Australian policy in favour of Russia. Our own Otat Simon had a bit of a cameo in it. Um, so, what do you guys think of that investigation? So, I think there's two main parts that kind of relate to the Ukrainian community in the program that they aired. And one was MH17, and then the second one was Otat Simon's cameo when these so called Russian Cossacks rocked up to St. Andrew's Ukrainian church and started heckling and, you know, trying to intimidate uh, parishioners and, you know, trying to say, like, trying to show that, you know, they're, you know, big, strong men because Crimea belongs to Russia, according to their views. Yeah, rocking up with, like, Putin president shirts and stuff. Yeah, and then the fact that they were also claiming that uh, MH17 was actually shot down by Ukrainians over uh, with Ukrainian weapons, it's uh, disrespectful, in a sense, because they're trying to pr- uh, propagate this propaganda that uh, Russia's in the good and they did nothing wrong. Oh, the fact that, you know, they said their lies, I think that was more there so the public could see, you know, how deep it goes that, like, you know, even elements of the Russian community are, you know, espousing 
the official propaganda line from Russia. But I just feel like they could have countered it more strongly in the program. Yeah, because, like, Boykov was able to get away with his lies, and that's what drove me nuts. He just said it was shot down by Ukraine over Ukrainian airspace, and it had nothing to do with Russia, but we all know it was a Russian missile, and that was never brought up to him. Or if it was brought up, they might have cut it out. Like, we don't know. But for some reason, that wasn't put in there. So, now there's like a 50-50, did Ukraine shoot it down or did Russia shoot it down? You know, people are going to start questioning that as opposed to actually laying out the evidence and presenting it to Boykov and having him defend his position, which, you know, wasn't shown. But, Briani, you're the journalistic expert. Yes. What did you think about that coverage? Well, even even the stuff with Otach Simon outside the church, like, you know, all they showed was the stuff with Boyko uh, saying stuff to him and, um, you know, you guys said that um, we're sure that Otach Simon would have responded and had actual uh, answers to his questions, to his taunts, but it wasn't shown in the program. And so it shows, like, I don't know, in my opinion, a very biased or a very one-sided view in the sense that, you know, they're not, like Andre said, they're not... They're not providing another uh, viewpoint, in a sense. Well, they're not countering his point. Because I, I feel like they should have said in the program, Australia's official position is this, 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 this. Mm-hmm. Like And yeah, and like showing examples of, you know, why Australia believes it. Like, you know, like there's the evidence. Australia's part of the group of countries that investigates, is investigating how MH17 was shut down. And then like why they recognize Crimea as part of Ukraine and not Russia. And all these other things. I thought that could be better explained in the program. Yeah, I know they covered a lot more about like the illegal money and stuff. But I, I, I think they could have split that maybe and done two investigations. One on Russian influence here, like from a community level, and then do a separate investigation for the money. Because they did a lot of like good work with the money. In fact, there was some company that the, they found and this lady, like she works out of her home basically and she had like millions of dollars worth of construction um, sales in her books and they actually challenged her and she refused to respond and the guy came out and he was like, the presenter was saying that, you know, they asked this question, this question, this question, but she refused to respond and I thought that was good because she's refusing to respond, meaning she most likely has something to hide and they've put out all the information that the um, that's suspicious about her business. And so, that's actually revealing a lot about her. But they didn't do that with Boykov. Um, and the same thing like with Navalny. He said that, like you said, he, he's kind of portraying Russia as the victim. And he didn't really, or well, they didn't really challenge him that, you know, he says, oh, they had nothing to do with Navalny. Well, then who else would poison Navalny? And like, why with a Soviet nerve agent? It's an interesting piece to watch. And I definitely think we should clarify that this piece isn't targeting all members of the Russian community in Australia. It's focusing on, as as Alexa um, mentioned, elements of the Russian community, specifically those which are lobbying and pushing for Russia's interests here in Australia. So they mentioned the Bikey group, for example. They mentioned Boykov's group. It's only elements of the Russian community that are pushing Putin's agenda. It's not a, a complete attack against all members of the Russian community because these specific groups do not represent everyone in the Russian community. Um, so if our listeners want to watch this program, Nathan, where can they find it? So I watched it on YouTube, which is where um, you can watch it for free. Um, it's, um, it's on the uh, ABC News In-Depth channel. Um, 
and it's about 40 minutes and I think it's a good program like they, they do a deep dive into the financial um, aspect of it which I thought was really good um, as well as there was that interesting revelation of like what the other side thinks and what you know some members in the Russian community um, uh, what their beliefs are even though they you know may have dropped the ball a bit in some aspects but you know it does reveal a lot about Russian influence in Australia and I thought that was a really good piece that or that that that, that they put out there Another piece of interesting news that happened this week was the Verkhovna Rada designating the Revolution of Dignity, or also known as Yevromaidan, as one of the key events in the history of the Ukrainian state, representing the national idea of freedom. So the resolution was passed by the Verkhovna Rada by 295 MPs, which is almost a constitutional majority. And it, you know, members from almost every faction in parliament except for you know the obviously pro-russian ones uh voted in favor of this resolution what do you guys think about the significance of such a resolution being passed is this a good example uh to show that ukraine is uh taking its history seriously and reminding that this change of course from being uh semi-neutral slash pro-Russian to a more defined um, uh, direction into moving towards Europe and the West and developing a better democracy. Yeah, I would say this is probably like the true independent movement from like the grassroots level because like when the Soviet Union collapsed, it collapsed from the top down. So Ukraine just, it ended up becoming an independent country because it's from that way. But now you had the people actually throwing, overthrowing the leaders that they that were, you know, being detrimental to the country because they were pushing them in a direction the people didn't want. So ne- ever since then, you've seen the, you know, these pushes for you know, language change, uh, language laws, and education laws, and all of that to really reform the country. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Nathan. I think Yevromaidan is like a key moment in Ukraine's like independent history because people finally took a stand for like what they believed in and like for the longest time people used to always be like oh you know ukraine should be proud that it achieved its independence without any blood but i think sometimes you need those kind of foundational heroes that you know gave their lives for the country and you know kind of provide that um like they're immortalized because they fought for ukraine I think, you know, it provides like, you know, a direction of people what they should strive for because, you know, their memory shouldn't be, they shouldn't have died in vain in a sense. And the fact that they had to fight later on shows that the independence they got before, even though it was without bloodshed, it wasn't, you know, truly what they wanted. Truly what they wanted. In the news this week, Ukraine's National Anti-Corruption Bureau has launched an investigation into the procurement of COVID-19 vaccines in Ukraine. This investigation centers around the decision to stop arrangements to buy a vaccine with an estimated cost of three US dollars and instead start new negotiations with China to buy the Sinovac vaccine for $17.85 US. This vaccine is one of the most expensive in the world yet it has an overall efficiency of just over 50%, making it one of the weakest COVID-19 vaccines. This week, President Zelensky visited the United Arab Emirates to negotiate and sign a mutual visa waiver agreement, as well as various other trade agreements. 
In honour of his visit, the world's tallest building, the Burj Khalifa, was lit up in the colours of the Ukrainian flag, blue and yellow. Ukraine has completed work on its latest satellite, Sitch-230, selecting SpaceX as its launch partner. Sitch-230 is scheduled to launch in December and will conclude the celebrations of 30 years of Ukrainian independence. The last major satellite was launched from Ukraine 10 years ago, though smaller satellites continued to be launched more recently. Ukraine's foreign ministry has condemned the overnight raids on Ukrainian citizens living in occupied Crimea. The raids targeted Crimean residents associated with the Crimean Solidarity Organization and the Crimean Childhood Project for Children of Political Prisoners, highlighting the political nature of these raids. Let us know which stories you'd like to hear by reaching out to us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Join us next week for more UKLife Abroad content.